want to uh, turn over in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. Last week we looked at the parable of the ten virgins. And five had oil with them and five did not. And we looked at the tragedy of an unprepared life last week. And this week we're going to look at the tragedy of a wasted life in the parable of the talents. And so uh, I just want to read um, this section of Scripture for us, verses 14 to 30 of Matthew chapter 25. And you can follow along in your Bibles, Matthew 25, verses 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, another two, and to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once, traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also and he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he, who, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. Into the place where there will be gnashing, weeping and gnashing of teeth. John Greeleaf Whittier wrote a poem, and one of the best-known lines say this, For all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. Scripture tells us over and over and over that we are to be admonished and to be good stewards and take advantage of the opportunity that God has given us. In Psalm 95, verses 6 to 8, the psalmist writes, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are His people. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, 
if you will hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. Psalm 69, verse 13, David wrote, As for me, my prayer, it is to thee, O Lord, at an acceptable time. Isaiah 55, verse 6, tells us that we are to seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. Even in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul basically says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Over and over throughout Scripture, we hear these admonitions, these encouragements to make sure that we're taking advantage of all that is given to us. Even Jesus encouraged his disciples to... uh, Uh, Be careful because they're being um, exposed to so much information that they are to be good stewards with it. He says, while you have the light in John 12, believe in the light in order that you may become sons of the light. See, there's a tragedy in our world today where people are wasting their lives. They're wasting the opportunity that God gives them. And in these parables here in Matthew 25, remember Jesus is exposing his disciples to uh, some teaching on his second coming. Nobody knows when he is coming back, but he is coming back literally to this earth. This isn't the rapture we're talking about. It's talking about the second coming that will happen at the end, uh, or at the beginning of the, uh, the end of the tribulation, the beginning of the millennium. And he will set up his rule and reign here on earth. And here in this chapter 25, he's still discussing the kingdom of God. And we looked at last week the parable of the virgins, and we fo- that focused us basically on how we need to be ready for his coming. We need to make sure that we're waiting, we're looking for the coming of the Lord. And this is kind of a parable almost to balance that out, because are we just supposed to sit around and wait? Is that what we're supposed to do? Some people think that over the period of history, even in which we lived. Just a year ago or so, people thought that Jesus was coming back on a certain day. Remember that? You had people selling stuff and, boy, just doing all sorts of crazy things, thinking that that was the day. Well, it wasn't the day. (laughs) And if it says, if they say it will be the day, it's probably not going to be the day. But we're still to be waiting for the Lord's return. We're to be expecting the Lord's return. And that's what the parable of the virgins spoke about last week. Five had oil, five had not. They weren't ready when he came back. Well, here in the parable of the talents, it focuses on the readiness of working. See, we're not just called to lay around in armchairs of grace and waiting for, waiting for Jesus to come back. Don't worry about getting a job. Don't worry about supporting family. Don't worry about anything because Jesus is coming back. Well, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to work for the Lord. We're called to do the work of the ministry until he comes back. And remember, those five virgins represented believers who possessed that saving grace. They possessed the Spirit of God. And these two faithful servants here in this parable today, they also, the ones who invested their talents, they represent believers who exhibit a serving life. And so those two parables really balance out believers' lives. We're to look forward for his coming, but we're not supposed to just think, hey, he's coming back this afternoon, so I'm not going to do anything. Or he's coming back next week, so I'm not going to pay my bills, I'm not going to go to work, I'm not going to do anything, the Lord's coming back. We're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be working. We're supposed to be responsible until he comes. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. 
You know, the saving faith is a serving faith. If you say today that you're here amongst us and you're saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm saved. Well, how are you serving God? And that's very true. That our, our faith is to be worked out in our service for the Lord. But unfortunately, a lot of people get caught up in the service aspect of things. Boy, they're plugged into the church, they're doing all sorts of things. But then they forget, as the Thessalonians did in Thessalonica, they got so caught up in serving, they, they, they kind of lived an undisciplined life, careless life. They decided, hey, you know, we're, we don't have to do anything because the Lord's coming back. And so you have those two sides. Some people just, you know, work themselves practically to death in ministry, and you have other people that say, oh, the Lord's coming back, I'm not going to do anything. And in Thessalonica, some of them became busybodies and things, and Paul had to actually write them and to tell them, hey, don't grow weary of doing good. Even though the Lord hasn't come back yet, you don't give up. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Peter challenged us in Second Peter chapter 3 as well. Peter reminded them that they had to uh, remember what the day of Noah was like. And he says, judgment and destruction of all ungodly men, that's what happened. And that's what's going to happen again when Christ comes back. And just in the days of Noah, it came at a time they didn't expect it. They didn't believe the warnings, they didn't believe the signs. And there's going to be people in the time of the tribulation who are not still, even though they've seen all these miraculous things happen here on earth, they're still not going to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. So you have this balance here before us. Well, let's look at this parable because the parable of the talents illustrates for us four basic aspects of spiritual opportunity. First one is that we have the responsibility that we receive. God gives us all a responsibility. Look at what he says in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew 25. He says, for it will be, it will be, speaking of all the way back to verse 1, then the kingdom of God will be like, he's continuing that thought. Some translations put the kingdom of God in there in italics. The ESV doesn't, so you have to understand what's he talking about for it. What's he mean? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey. Who's the man? The man's the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, he's, he's about ready to pull up his bags here, and go back to heaven. In a matter of days, he'll be gone. So he says, there's a man that's going on a journey, and he called his servants. Who are his servants? We're going to look at that. It's important to understand who that is. It's important to understand what does he mean by the kingdom of heaven. See, when you talk about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it can be talking about something that's internal, that those who possess the Spirit of God, they're all part of God's kingdom. Because the the idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is wherever Christ rules, wherever God reigns. So it has that understanding in Scripture, but it also has one of 
externality, one of organizational, one of just saying, hey, there's people within the kingdom of God, within the touch of the kingdom of God. There's people within our churches who are not necessarily citizens of that kingdom. They're part of the church in an outward way, in a physical way. They may come to church. They may even serve in church. They may do things in church. But in an internal sense, they're not part of the body of Christ. They're just kind of brushing up against the church. And so when he speaks here of the kingdom of heaven, what is he talking about? Is he talking about that internal sense where everybody is is a citizen of that if they've come to Christ? Or is he talking about it in an external? It must be in an external sense because the poor third servant here, he gets cast into outer darkness, which is hell. Last time I checked, saved people don't go to hell. (laughs) So it's very clear here what he means. He means basically there's certain people associated with the kingdom of God who are not necessarily citizens of it. And he calls them his servants. Over in Matthew chapter 18, the Lord uses it in a sense where he says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, that's that internal sense that I was talking about. But here, he's not talking of that. He's not talking about these, all these servants being Christians, being Christ followers, being citizens of the kingdom. He's simply saying there's some people associated with the kingdom, and that's why you've got to be careful. And that was the message of Christ throughout the New Testament. The, the tares and the weed and, and all sorts of things. I mean, we've, we've seen parable after parable. He's constantly separating, uh, you know, the, the haves from the have-nots. The people who have Christ from those who don't, even though they look the same. And so it's this visible outward sense that Jesus refers to here in both the parable of the kingdoms, and the parable of the virgins, excuse me, and the parable of the talents. And so this man who's going on the journey is a reference to Christ, and he calls his own slaves, it says, his own servants. They were his possessions, just as those who, uh, even by being virtually attached outwardly to the church, having been entrusted with certain uh, of of the Lord's possessions. Think of Judas. I mean, Judas was, I mean, part of the, not just a disciple, he was an apostle, for goodness sakes. And yet, you know, he brushed up against Christ all the time, and yet he was still lost. And so he uses this word servant or slave the way it should be translated. And it basically means just that. It's not somebody who, you know, we have a negative connotation today in our society of slavery. Well, a lot of times these, these servants, these slaves in the household were very skilled Some of them were very educated. And it it shows because the man who's going on the journey, he says he calls his servants and he entrusted to them his property. Obviously, if he has servants, he's pretty wealthy. So to be able to entrust your estate to the people who work for you, you have to have some trust there. You're not just giving it over to a, a bunch of people that don't know what they're doing. That wouldn't be a wise decision. And so it says there, to one he gave five talents. Now don't think of this, okay, one he gave five, the other he gave two, and one he gave one. So that must be, boy, they, they, that must be the reward or something. No. 
It says right in the text, why did he give some five, one, two, and one, one? It says to one, he gave five talents, to another, two, and to another, one. And then what's it say? To each according to what? His own ability. See, the owner knew his slaves intimately. And he entrusted each one of them with a responsibility that he reasonably could be expected to handle. I don't know about you, but that's a blessing. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. God would have never, this man in this illustration, would have never gone to the one and given five talents to the one who got one. Because he realized he couldn't handle it. We're all gifted in different ways. We're all made up personality-wise differently. But here... The owner knew his slaves well enough to know that each one is different. I don't know about you, but praise God, we're all different. We're not all the same cookie cutter. You know, sometimes you get these churches and they try to make everybody, you know, walk lockstep and everybody dresses the same. They talk the same. I've seen people on the staff of pastors and, and you hear them preaching, they preach just like the pastor. Same inflection, same everything. It's like, it's like a bunch of clones, for goodness sakes. It's ridiculous. We're not gifted that way. We're all gifted differently. We all have a different kind of personality. Some of us have a little more different than others. (laughs) But what's he mean here by talents? You know, we think of talent as, oh, I can play the piano. No, it's not that. It can refer to that. But used in this context, such as this, talents always referred to money. It always referred to some form of money. It simply meant a weight. A weight of gold, a weight of silver, or maybe even a weight of copper. And they would, depending on the weight of that that talent, would depend on how much it's worth. So here you have the number of talents given to each man. Think of it as as they got a bag and they're kind of putting coins in the bag. Some's got five, some two, some one. He was emphasizing the common, you might say, accountability for different levels of responsibility based on your individual ability. God's not going to hold you accountable for somebody who's gifted in a different way. He's going to hold you accountable for the way you're gifted, the way you deal with things. See, the parable illustrates the kingdom of heaven. The man in the story obviously represents Christ. The journey he goes, he's representing is him leaving between his first and second advent. The slaves depict, listen to this, professed believers. Professing believers. All the servants are professing that, hey, I'm a servant of you, the master. They're members of the Lord's visible church. And as a result of that, he's entrusted various resources to them on his behalf until he returns. He mentions here only three levels of responsibility, but I bet you there's a wide range of these individual abilities for different people. I mean, we all are different. We all have different natural talent, intellect, different capabilities. We're all created differently. And you know what? We also vary in our opportunity and privilege. Think of you, somebody who can come to a church each week and you're taught the Word of God from the Bible. Well, think of somebody who's over, 
you know, in, in, in the African plains and they come to Christ and they don't even have a Bible, let alone a church to help teach them. You know, they're on their own, basically. They have the Spirit of God and that's it. Well, you're going to be held a little more responsible with your privilege and with your understanding of God's Word than that person. And that's kind of what he's trying to get across here. There's a wide variety of different levels of responsibility that we'll be called to task on one day. I mean, that's why in, turn over to uh, Hebrews chapter, or I mean, Romans chapter 4. Or Romans chapter 12, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12. Look at what he says here. Verse, Romans 12, verse 4, for, the, for by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Notice that you're not, you're not, you don't conjure up your own faith. God has assigned you a portion of faith. Verse 4, for as in one body we have many members, and the, the members do not all have the same function. So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to what? The grace given to us. Let us therefore use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaching, teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then he says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be lazy. In zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant, constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And he goes on, bless those who persecute you and so forth. See, we're all gifted in a different way. You can do the same thing. You can jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and read the, the, the giftings there. See, some Christians are privileged to live and work closely with others of like faith. And we're constantly encouraged and we're corrected by fellow believers. And then others are basically just left on their own. But God knows each of our abilities. He knows our giftings. He knows the opportunities that are granted to us. He knows the circumstances of every individual in this room today. And he graciously assigns responsibility accordingly. I mean, stop and think even the 12 disciples... They had different levels of responsibility. Peter, James, and John were clearly in the inner circle. The group of Peter was the most prominent. And you can, you can see that throughout Scripture. And so the issue of the parable pertains to what each slave does with his fairly assessed responsibility that he's been given. See, you can't say, well, I don't, you know, gee, I wish I could play the piano. Well, I can't play the piano. So am I going to be judged because I can't? No, you're not going to be judged because you can't play the piano. 
Or boy, you know, I'm not as studious as other people were. I can't, you know, I, one thing that, that pastor's conferences do, and, and I learned early on in ministry not to allow this to happen, but the elders would tell you they can be very depressing. You go to these pastor's conferences and you rub shoulders with some of these men and they're just, you know, brilliant men who read like 500-page books on their trip to the conference, you know. I'm going, whoa, out of my league. I mean, you can come back and, you know, they're talking about their huge churches and how oh, God's blessing the ministry. And, boy, every, every week, you know, thousands are getting saved. And, it's, and, you know, you come back to your little church and you're like, well, Lord, I don't know. You can come back depressed. But you know what? I stopped that years ago. I, I realized, you know what? God has a calling on me because of who I am. I'm not going to try to be like somebody else. I'm just going to be who I am. And what you see is what you get. That's it. And, you know, that's so important to have that freedom in ministry and not just in, in ministry when you're in it in a full-time basis, but as Christians that we have that freedom. You know, don't feel that, you know what, oh, I guess they, they, need, they need nursery workers. You know, I hate children, but I, I guess I better go serve. No, we don't want you over there if you hate children. Trust us. Okay? If you can't stand to be around kids, don't volunteer for the nursery. You know, but some of us, you know, we, we got different things going on. We can't focus on one thing more than a couple seconds. So there's, there's ministries within the church that need to be done. You know, there's, there's people that, that tell me all the time, hey, if you need the, the bulletin folded, you know, I'll do that. Praise God for those people. You know? Hey, you want me to serve in the kitchen? I'll do that. If there's toilets that need to be cleaned. If there's anything that needs to be done, just let me know. I'll do it. You know, they're not looking for a pat on the back. They're not looking for a reward. They're not looking. They're just looking to serve in their own way. And in the way they serve is, is ideally, it's no different than the way I serve or the way you may serve. Because we're all gifted in different ways. And see, that's the important thing about your Christian life. Find out what your giftings are and then use them for the glory of God. And if you do that, man, your, your Christian walk is just going to prosper. You're going to grow in your relationship with God and with his church. Because we have a responsibility to do just that. That's the, the, the picture, the proportioning out there. And you can see the, the parallel between those, those two parables. At the end... Basically, it says of the, the marriage feast at the end of the first parable there, the ten virgins, they wanted in. It was too late. They went and tried to get some oil because they didn't do what was right in the beginning. And it says, basically, open up the door, Lord, in verse 11. But, they, but he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not even know you. <laughs> it was too late for them. They were knocking on a closed door. Same thing here. It was too late for this, this third servant to, as he went back and the master came home and he, all he had was what he had, that's it. He didn't do anything with it. See, he was judged on what he was given. So the slave here who had, look at the reaction to how these people responded. The slave who had five talents was eager to serve his master. And the reason I tell you that is look at what it says in verse 16. It said, He who had received the five talents, what's it say? Went at once. Right? He didn't wait around. He didn't, ah, oh, you know, he's going to be on a long journey. I can wait. 
He's gone. We can do whatever we want in this house now. He gave us everything. He gave me these five talents. He entrusted them to me. Uh, Maybe next week I'll go do something with him. But right now I'm just going to (laughs) relax. No, it says that he went immediately. See, that's the heart of a servant. He went at once. And what did he do? He traded them. Some of you are in the stock market business and finances and all that stuff. I mean, I, I look at that and I just, you know, I don't, I don't understand it. I just go, I don't know. You know, I mean, who, you know, this whole Facebook thing was just cracking me up. And I was asking Mario last week, I said, okay, I get that this guy starts a company, you know, by himself, basically, maybe one other guy. Who, who comes up with the idea, I now have a million shares of what? I mean, really, what, what is it? Well, now I'm going to split it. Now I have two million. And if you work for me, I'll give you some. And then we'll split. I mean, who puts a value? It's just so crazy when you stop and think about it. I just, my mind just can't get around that. And yet that's how our world works. Well, here this guy went out and he said he traded it immediately. Traded with them, which is a chance, took a chance. And he made five talents more. He made five talents more. That trade, that word, it really has the idea of doing business over a period of time. See, this guy just simply didn't make one good investment. Hey, I got five, give me five more. Okay, great, I'm done. And then wait around till the guy gets home. No, he didn't do that. It has the idea that he was involved in a number of commercial ventures. Maybe simultaneously, maybe he took a couple talents here, a couple talents there, a couple, you know, and he invested them. And then he watched. He said, oh, this one's not good. I'm going to put this over here. And he started, you know, he was, he was faithful to the task. And it says, in the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. See, even though the second slave, the second servant was given half as much, he did his job just as faithfully as the first. He didn't say, wait a minute, I only got five. You gave me two. No. Why? Because he knew. He knew that the, 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 the master knew him well. He knew what he could handle. He probably would have freaked out if he would have gave him five. I mean, sometimes I, I, I think, you know, I mean, I mean what, this would be a glorious thing. Don't get me wrong. But what if next Sunday we, we came to church and you couldn't get in the door? What if every seat was filled and we had to bring other, we had 300 people in here and there's still people waiting to get in? I don't know about you, but I'd be a little freaked out. I would be blessed, but I would be freaked out. I'd be like, what is going on? You know, I mean, we would have to start to talk about some things like bathrooms and different things. I mean, I remember a couple years ago, we rented out our, didn't rent it out, we let a facility, another church use it. And uh, they had, they were supposed to have about, less than 300 people here, and they had close to 600. And they were from the islands. <laughs> they were big people. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I'll take that out of the tape, probably. But Well, you know, lo and behold, I mean, they're using our facility, and our little bathrooms just couldn't keep up. And it was 2.30 in the morning, I think, Saturday morning. I called Ken, and I said, I need help. I'm in my ankles in sewer downstairs. I need help. I don't know what to do. I got my little shop bag, but it's not working. 
that's not helping. And he came down, and we had to clean the whole downstairs because the, the, they were using the bathroom in the back, and it just plugged up somewhere, and it came out of that, that toilet down there, and it just went everywhere. I don't even know why. Where am I at? I don't even know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> I have the slightest idea what I'm, what I'm talking about. Okay, let's refocus here. <laughs> Talking about overrunning sewage, and I just don't know. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Doesn't matter. But in the same, same manner here, the one who had received the two talents, he gained two more. Okay? He was faithful. He was faithful. That's what the point was. If we had 500 people show up at this church, we'd probably all freak out. Why? Because we couldn't handle it right now. We wonder what to do. And yet, you look at the third slave, and his reaction was radically different than the one, the other two. Radically different. It says, he who received the one talent, what did he do? He went away, and what did he do? He dug in the ground. And you're saying, that's kind of weird. Well, that was a very common thing back then. Remember Achan, after he ripped something off, what did he do? He dug it in the ground in his tent, hid it. You know, that was just a common thing. The treasure in the field, they would use the ground kind of like a bank safe. And they would measure off how many steps here and by this tree, and they'd dig and they'd put their treasure there because nobody would know it was there and it would be safe. Well, that's exactly what he did. It says he went around and he dug in the ground and he hid his master's money. Very common practice. But you know what? Hiding working resources in the ground is not really a sensible way to carry on business and earn a profit, right? You're just not gonna. You're not gonna bring much home. <laughs> you're not gonna be able to put food on the table. See, this slave had not received this one talent to protect it. That's not why he was given it, but he was given it to use it wisely for his master's profit. Even though he had been given less than the other two, he had the same obligation, beloved, to use it to the the maximum of his ability. So we find ourselves here at this reckoning that takes place in verse 19. Now after a long time, it says, a long time, and I think Jesus here is simply implying to the disciples, look, I know you think I'm, I'm leaving and the kingdom of God is going to happen next Tuesday because that's what they thought. They thought it was all going to happen at one time. And so he's constantly, through these stories and through different parables, he's constantly reminding them, wait, I'm not coming back like tomorrow. It's going to be a little while. So you get ready. Be faithful for the long haul. I'm coming back. You don't know when. Nobody knows when. He, just the Father. But it's going to be a while. And so he says there in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. Well, the idea is is that he's coming back home from his trip, whatever it might be. And he gets his servants together and he says, okay, let's, let's see how you've done. How's the house? Is everything okay? I gave you this much. What happened? I mean, there's a, there's a, a interest in us understanding here that 
the master definitely wanted his servants to succeed. He wasn't giving them money to lose it. He wanted them to grow that, that money. And so he calls his servants together, and it says there in verse 20, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. Pretty good return, right? That's, that's pretty good. You don't get that very much today. Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Verse 21, his master said to him, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been what? Faithful over a little. Even though it was more than anybody else got, it was still probably a little portion of this guy's estate. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, those are, those are words, I think, that all Christians long to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. When it's all done, when, when, when you're in heaven, you know, that those are the words that you want to hear. Enter into the joy of your master. Because the master represents the Lord himself when he returns in glory to set up his kingdom. And so... The story goes on here, and it says uh, in, in verse um, 20, uh, 24, he who also had, or he who, his master said to him, well done and good and faithful servant. Verse 23, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Guy with two talents, same thing, same, same scenario. He comes and he brings two more, great deal. Well, look at what happens in verse 24. He also who had received one talent came forward. Okay? And here you see the faithful, the two, and the unfaithful. And you look at their, their difference, the way they deal with this situation. It's very clear. Look at what he does. He says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. What's he doing here? What, what do you think is going through this guy's mind? He just saw the other two guys bring their talents back, and boy, good job. And he comes up, and the first thing out of his mouth, he tries to make an excuse based on the credibility of his master. That'd be like you messing up at work, and you get called into the boss's office, and you say, well, you know, boss, you're just not a good manager. That's how you start your conversation. I don't think your day is going to go very well. <laughs> rather than take responsibility, what's he try to do? He shifts the blame. He says, wait a minute, it's you. You're the hard man. You're a hard man. And I knew that. And then he even goes further. He doesn't quiet himself there. He keeps talking, which gets himself into more trouble, in my mind. Reaping where you did not sow. That's like telling your boss, you know, basically you're not a good manager. And, you know, the reason I'm in here, you're not a good manager. And by the way, I know you're cooking the books. <laughs> not going to go over very well with your boss. How did he know this? Doesn't say it was true. That's just his opinion. That's just him making an excuse. That's just him shifting blame. 
And he says, also you gather where you scatter no seed. So basically, he's impugning this guy being a thief. You're going out and you're ripping other people's crops off. And the reason that I didn't make any money on this one talent you entrusted to me is because your character didn't allow me to. That doesn't fly. See, today we live in a day and age where it's everybody else's fault, right? I mean, nobody takes responsibility anymore. You know, if you have a child that's doing, doing poorly in school, it's not their fault, it's the parent's fault. And if the parents are doing poor, poorly at home, parenting, well, it's not their fault, it's, it's their parent's fault. And this, this blame game just goes around. Well, you know, do lives, lifestyles and things like that have consequences? And yeah, I'm not saying they don't. But at some point in time, you have to step up and you have to say, you know what, I need to be responsible for myself. This person was unwilling to do that. This servant, he tried to blame his own master for his inability to turn any of this over. And so he says, I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, here's your talent back. After this long period of time. Do you know that God has gifted everybody in this room with something? He's gifted you with something. Some kind of ability to use for his glory. What are you doing with it? Are you hiding it in the ground? Or are you expanding on it? Are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your service of the Lord? He just gave him back the one talent and said, here, this is yours. Probably flipped it to him like that. Verse 26, but his master answered him. Look at what he says. You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap. See, he tears his whole argument apart is what he does. He goes, okay, let's think about this for a moment here, pal. He goes, first of all, I think you're wicked and you're slothful. You're lazy. Because your argument's not holding up. If you knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I scatter no seed, then, he says, you, have, you should have invested my money with the bankers just out of fear. And then at my coming, at least you could have given me something with some interest. See, his argument didn't hold up. Blaming the other person didn't work. It wasn't true, first of all. And secondly, it never works. Of the many things heaven will be, beloved, it will not be boring. And this is what I'm getting to. Look at what he does in the next verse here. It says, So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from those, the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. How can you have something taken away if you don't have it? See, these are people who perceive that they have something. Remember, they're professed citizens of the kingdom. This third servant was wicked, he was lazy, he attacked 
this master. In other words, he's pointing his finger at God, literally. It's, it's, it's almost, in the story, he's accusing Christ. There are people in this world who point their fingers at God and say, well, you're the reason that I'm this way. Why didn't you allow this to happen in my life? Why did this have to happen this way? Why did this have to happen that way? You're the reason, and I'm going to shake my angry fist at you, God. That doesn't get you anywhere. Because you can't impugn God. His, his attributes are perfect. He's holy. He's just. He's loving. He's gracious. There's not one thing that you can point to God and say, He did that wrong. No, He didn't. I was discussing homosexuality one time down at the coffee shop with somebody and one of the, one of the people who were discussing it said, well, I just, I just think that you know, uh, homosexuals were born that way. I said, really? Well, yeah. I said, why do you think that? Well, I just think they are. I said, okay. I said, do you believe God created us? Or do you believe in evolution? Oh, I believe God created us. Well, he sure messed that one up, didn't he? If you're saying God created homosexuals the way they are, that's a mistake. There's something wrong with that. There's a problem there. Because it goes directly against what he says in his word. And if God created us all to be homosexuals, we wouldn't be here. Kind of a silly argument, don't you think? Well, I never thought of it that way. See, you can't impugn the character of God. God is perfect in every way. And that's why when you look at your giftings, the way God has gifted you, you can say, you know what? I'm okay with who I am. Be confident with who God created you to be. Don't try to be somebody else. You know, that's the worst possible way to live your life. So he says, you were faithful with a few things for the faithful servants. I will put you in charge of many. Do you know that in heaven, we're not just going to be sitting around in our armchairs of grace, eating grapes from the hands of angels. You know, that's not going to be the... We're going to be working. We're going to be doing ministry. We're going to be functioning perfectly in that place called heaven. And it's not going to be a boring place. It says that we're going to be put in charge of things. And depending on what we're going to be faithful with here, a few things, well, then God's going to put us in charge of other things there. It's not going to be a boring place. It's going to be a place where we can use our gifts and our talents and our abilities to the uttermost because we'll be Christ-like. Sin will be gone. We won't have to deal with all the distractions of this sinful world. And he says, enter into the joy of your master. We're going to be rewarded in heaven one day and it's going to be a joyful place to be. Just the idea that we're going to be sharing his joy in that place. It's amazing. So clearly, we see here this reward that is going to be given to the faithful. is We're going to be given more responsibility. We're going to have that joy. We're going to be in the place called heaven. The third slave, however doesn't present this slave, the master with any earnings at all. But basically just turns into this self-serving excuse, accusatory in every fashion. And it doesn't really get him anywhere in the process. 
I mean, if he was truly afraid of his master, he would have done something with it rather than just be lazy and do absolutely nothing. See, sometimes we're just too lazy to figure this God thing out. Sometimes we just want to kind of coast along through life. And God's saying, no, that's not good enough. If you don't have, you don't feel you have enough truth to make a decision for Christ, well, then you better get busy studying and figure it out. Because you're going to be held accountable for every word you hear concerning the gospel of Christ one day. Don't put it off. Don't allow the enemy to come in and make you seem like this is just a fairy tale and and this is all just make-believe. It's not. There's a real place called heaven. There's a real place called hell. And one day, depending on what you do with Jesus Christ, will decide where you end up. The reward that we will get one day will be incomprehensible when we enter into the joy of our master. But look at what happens to the person who's not faithful. The tragedy of a wasted life. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then he says, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's clearly an understanding of hell. God has given us all this ability to somehow be used for him, for his glory. It's not for our glory. We don't go around using our gifts for, so people can pat us on the back. That's not a true servant. A true servant doesn't, it doesn't matter what people notice, what they don't notice. You do it as unto the glory of God. You do it for his glory and his glory alone. And God will bless you as a result of that. He'll bless your life. You know, if you're the person that folds the bulletin, do it to the best of your ability. If you're the person that washes the dishes, do it to the best of your ability. Do it with a joy in your heart. You know, I I see folks here every week. We're just a small little church, but I see folks here every week doing things that they're never asked to do. Never. And yet they're willingly doing them. See, don't believe the lie that, well, nobody, nobody asked me to do anything, so I guess nobody appreciates me in this church, so I'll just come to church and sit in my pew week after week and never use any of my gifts for the glory of God. You need to get busy. You need to ask God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? People come to me all the time, what's the church need? What do you want me to do? I say, well, what's God calling you to do? Don't look to me to kind of the divine, you know, giver out of tasks or something. I don't know. If God's laid something on your heart, bring it up. You know, God's laid on my heart, you know, a homeless ministry. Well, praise God. Let's look at it. Let's pray about it. Maybe God would have you start something like that. I don't know. But don't wait for the elders or the pastor to come up with something for you to do. You go before God because you should be doing something within the body of Christ to serve him, not just coming to church on a Sunday morning, sitting in the pew and hearing God's word. You you need to be actively involved in ministering on behalf of what you've given. See, that's, that's proof of your faith. A Christian is always a Christian who serves. 
There's, there's no place for spectators in Christianity. You don't get saved and then, you know, sit back and watch everybody else play the game down on the field. That's not how it works. I mean, immediately upon my salvation, I had to go back to, to college the next week, and I was there for the weekend, or I went to church, and the first day in that church, I walked in, and there was some older lady standing in this church. I, this it was a Baptist church. I didn't know much about it. And uh, she was folding bulletins, and she said, would you mind helping me in my arthritis? I said, oh, yeah, sure. So I started folding. Pretty soon, I'm standing at the door of this church, handing the bulletins, uh, greeting people. I didn't even know who they were. They didn't know who I was. It was like, who's the guy at the door? I don't know, you know. One of those college kids from up the road, but he's willing to do it. You know, and I was shy and everything. I didn't feel comfortable there. But you know what? That's what God had me to do. And I just did it. Don't wait for somebody to ask you. Just, just pitch in and say, hey, you know, how about this? How about that? Whatever God wants you to do, he'll lead you to do it. And he'll give you the ability he already has. Don't be like this third servant who professes Christ or kind of comes up close to Christ, but never buys into it, never makes their profession of Christ, a possession of Christ. That's so important that you understand that, that the word of God clearly makes, draws that line, that there's people in every church, well, they, uh, you know, we're going to be surprised one day when we get to heaven. Where's that person? Man, they, they were real faithful to the church. They didn't make the cut. Wow. And then they're gonna, you're going to look at some other people and they're going, what are you doing here? You know, and they're going to say, what are you doing here? I don't know. You know, praise God for his grace. See, that's, that's the incredible thing. We can't go just on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. God knows your heart. I pray that your heart would cry out to him this morning for his grace to save you, for his grace to come down and transform your life. That's what you need. You, you need a savior. We all do. We're all sinners. We need to be saved by his grace. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us not to fall into this tragedy of a wasted life. Lord, that we would come to understand what it means to give you everything that we have to work for you day and night, unceasingly until you return. Lord, help us not to grow lazy in our service of you. Father, as a small church, there's a lot of things that could happen here. But Lord, we're not about just creating programs to have programs So I would really encourage the folks here to really pray. God, what would you want me to do if you're not doing something already? What would you want me to do? How would you want me to be used? You know my gifts. You know my abilities. You know my talents. Use me, Lord, in this place. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who's yet to put their faith and trust in Christ. I pray that they would cry out to you, Lord, that you would miraculously save them, that you would show them their need of a Savior. Lord, that you would transform their heart not just about coming to church it's about giving your life up denying yourself turning it over to god i mean he created you he knows you intimately he knows what's best pray that god would work in your heart today thank you and we pray that you would just take us throughout this next week i pray that we would live lives that are honoring to you Pray that we would reach out to a lost and dying world with the life-changing message that Jesus saves, that he is able to save to the uttermost. Father, that that message would be on the tip of our tongues. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
Amen.